Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jay Gunkelman. He is the man who has read over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. And a special thanks to our gold and silver supporters. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. And if you sign up now, you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th. It's going to be a blast. What a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen NG hyphen workshops. MindMedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit MindMedia.com now. Talk to me about Alpha. Why do I care? In the beginning, there was Alpha. Uh, Berger in, published in 29. And he he found the Berger rhythm, which obviously uh, was named Alpha, uh, because it was the first one. Now, it wasn't the only one, obviously, but it's an important one. And it wasn't just him. I mean, he found it first, but uh, Alpha's described you know, in detail by others as well. Uh, in the very early 1930s, that there was a flurry of activity after Berger's publication. Uh, people trying to replicate and expand on what he found. You'd have to build your own amp. You couldn't go to the store and buy an EG amp, you know. Um, so you have to, you know, come up with your own laboratory and equipment and everything. And some of the first to do that were Adrian and Matthews in England. And Adrian and Matthews did EGs on each other. They found the Berger rhythm, alpha, in Adrian. Matthews had an EG with no apparent rhythmicity. That's what they called it. It was a low-voltage, fast EG. But with their crude amplifiers, they basically said there wasn't any big rhythm. So the Berger rhythm was absent in Matthews. Now, they were lab partners, so they declared the EG with no apparent rhythmicity a normal variant. I mean, you can't call your lab partner abnormal, you know, so, uh, but, but he had no apparent rhythmicity and it was declared a normal variant. You know, he was functional. I mean, he, he was a neuroscientist and, and, you know, a, 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 you know, one of the first. So ever since then, the low voltage fast EEG, which is not perfectly normal, it's an outlier pattern. Uh, but it was declared a normal variant. Now, about the same time, 
you, you saw Lennox in his lab at Harvard, along with Fred and Erna Gibbs. And they saw that you could see epilepsy in the human brain. And obviously, they talked a lot about the Berger rhythm as well. But uh, Fred and Erna Gibbs uh, were the first to really do a detailed description of beta and beta spindling. And uh, so they, you know, they followed, again, uh, early days uh, looking for the Berger rhythm. And they stumbled on the fact that epilepsy could be seen as discharges. Now, they did find a whole bunch of kinds of discharges. And obviously, that's a whole other topic area about epilepsy. And about the same time at Mayo Clinic, uh, the, the, the Dr. Yeager, Charlie Yeager, uh, MD, PhD, uh, uh, built their own lab. Uh, actually, with um, there was no budget for it, and uh, they, they were assigned a room in the basement, basically a, a storage room, and. You know, it was all funky, and they wanted to get it painted all nice and white, like a lab, you know. So um, uh, they started to paint it, but they actually, uh, the, the unions at Mayo Clinic uh, said, well, they're not in the painter's union. They can't paint. We'll go on strike if they paint. So they, and there was no budget to pay the painters. So, but the painters came to them, and they, they said, you know, if you use a broom instead of a brush with that whitewash, we'll let you do that. So they, they kind of snuck around it. And, you know, uh, eventually uh, Charlie moved out to San Francisco to start the, the Langley Porter uh, neuroscience. And he actually taught uh, until uh, the early 1980s, late 70s, early 80s is when he retired. And um, uh, yeah, he, he was actually teaching the neurology residency about neurofeedback, but then it was called EG biofeedback. Neurofeedback as a term didn't exist until later. But these, these people all found the background rhythm of alpha. But you know, alpha isn't alpha isn't alpha. And most people think of alpha as like, just it's something the brain does when it's not doing something. It's the resting state default system when the brain's basically off. Well, it's not when the brain's off, it's resting, but ready. You know, it, it, it's not like asleep, it's standing by. Uh, it's, a, it's in a standby mode, not totally idled. And there's, you know, alpha doesn't start out when you're really, really young. It kind of develops. Let's um, take a look. Uh, so, uh, what we're going to see here is, uh, well, first of all, uh, 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 the brain is really quite complex. Uh, th this is a wiring diagram uh, from Roy John and John Hughes's paper uh, that, that basically shows the connections and the neurochemistry of the brain. So, it's a lot more complex than just, you know, a simple uh, you know, discussion of a simple sinusoidal rhythm. And uh, uh, what, we, what we basically have is a rhythm that's being generated uh, by the thalamus. The, uh, what we basically have is Stereotti's uh, paper from the 1990s, 
describing the the generators of EEG rhythmicity. And that paper is, is in huge detail. And I would refer to that as if you're looking to find out what's generating a rhythm, any rhythm, uh, that, that's a, a fabulous paper. It's a consensus paper of the International Federation of Clinical Neurophysiology. So uh, an important uh, piece of it. But, you know, um, let, let's, uh, let's look at something about alpha. Uh, let's project this as a single image. So um, when you're perceiving stuff, you think of perception as a continuous stream of perception, but it's not. It's discrete packets of information. Your alpha rhythm packets your perception into pieces uh, that the alpha literally gates or turns on and off perception in brief bursts. And these approximately 100 millisecond frames that, that alpha provides are there because literally alpha turns on and off your perception. The negative half wave are up in the EEG land ends up being the thalamus gate is open. Information is flowing through to the cortex and, and being packeted to be processed as a, as a bunch of information. That packet ends up being shunted around. The, the processing of that is orchestrated by the alpha. The alpha is out of phase from the front to the back of the head. The back of the head is on for perception when the front of the brain is off for evaluation. And then the perception is turned off briefly when alpha goes into its positive half wave and the front of the brain is turned on to process that. So you literally see the phase of alpha sweep around the brain, uh, turning on and off processing of that snapshot, the frame that you have. Now, uh, microstates um, are basically uh, seen to be about the same time frame uh, as uh, these uh, little snapshots of alpha and uh, perceptual frame is essentially a concept where if two stimuli happen within 75 to 100 milliseconds of each other you perceive them as having exact simultaneous presentation because they're in the same perceptual packet uh, and uh, if you have a perceptual stream that you're familiar with it's going to organize the other perceptions into being simultaneously timed with the perception that you already have a, a perceptual expectation for. Uh, literally randomly presented uh, 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 flashes of light, randomly presented on an XY grid in time and space. So they're randomly timed and they're randomly placed. And those totally random dots, if you turn on music that you're familiar with, look like they're dancing to the music. They don't look random anymore. Turn off the music, they're totally random. So your perceptual streams organize each other. Again, inf information is packeted in the alpha perception, small snapshots. And again, the phase of the alpha turns on and off your ongoing perception and packets it into pieces. Now, uh, if you have very fast alpha, uh, your ERP is a little earlier very slow alpha, uh, your, your, uh, uh, your perception. This is an ERP, 
and and the the P three hundred, the the positive uh, deflection, uh, uh, it, uh, that's a response to a stimulus. Uh, again, the timing of it is related to the alpha frequency. Fast alpha, you get a quicker reaction. Slow alpha, you have a slower reaction. Okay, why so, does it say why does it say oddball? Um, that's a kind of uh, uh, method for uh, producing a P three hundred. Uh, you you can have sounds, yeah, you know, high pitch and low pitch sounds, beep 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 boop, and the oddball, the boop that happens is different, and that triggers that that mismatch basically triggers the perception of the the the, the, the that that odd uh, sound. Thank you. Uh, and you can also do P three hundreds with a checkerboard that reverses. And uh, you can do it with the presentation of stimuli visually. So that you can auditory or visual. Uh, you can actually get tactile as well, but most people do either auditory or visual. So uh, um, you, you basically have timing of alpha predicting how quickly your brain processes information. Very fast alpha, a quicker reaction time, uh, uh, sharper uh, responses. Now, Alpha can fuse, and fusiform alpha uh, basically has multiple alpha frequencies. And um, if you look carefully here, this is one second between the darker lines. And you can see here there's some alpha in the parietal area. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and a half in the alpha band. And if you count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and a half. Count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and a half. So it's still ongoing. But look at this. It looks like it's slow, but there's still an ongoing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and a half. So there's still alpha going on here, but it looks like there's four hertz activity. How does this happen? This is a fusing of waves in an immature thalamus. Fusiform alpha that gives a false image of slow content is essentially multiple alpha frequencies blended together that give you this funny waveform. Let's look at it in more detail. Uh, to start with, this is the bispectra. Uh, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll skip this slide. It's, it's easier to use this. What we have in the alpha band from basically eight to 12, you see there's a small fast rhythm up near 12. And there's a slow rhythm down near eight. The difference between those is going to give you a beat frequency, which looks like the, the that looks like the slow wave. So what we have is a fusion of faster alpha and slower alpha. And the faster and slower alpha blended together give you beat frequencies. And this beat frequency is about a four hertz wave. Uh, if you have two rhythms that are close, uh, four hertz off, uh, you'll generate a four hertz beat frequency, like binaural beats will. So um, this four hertz peak that you see here, sometimes it's called a subharmonic. It's actually... Uh, a, a beat frequency from an interaction between the 
12 and the eight giving you this approximate four. So um, you've got uh, uh, 12 and eight and four as the, the maps that you see here. And they're all basically the same alpha wave uh, generator uh, uh, tuned a little bit differently. Now, you actually have quite a few alpha generators. Uh, the, the alpha generated thalamic. So you have the cortex all colored up here. This is the thalamus. And the thalamus, these are all small nuclear bodies within the overall thalamus. And this is a left thalamus. You got a right thalamus right next to it in the other hemisphere. Um, it, each of these little nuclear bodies ends up being important for some area on the cortex. This little dot on the bottom here is the medial geniculate. And that's what gives you sound, auditory stimuli come through from your ear to the medial geniculate that projected the auditory cortex into the temporoparietal junction. Um, this is the lateral geniculate. That's what relays vision to the back of your head. But this is the pulmonary, the lateral uh, posterior, and the lateral dorsal. These are all sensory integration nuclei in the parietal area. So that's sensory integration. They piece together uh, visual, tactile, auditory, uh, somatosensory, uh, uh, the sense of taste and touch, all of it ends up getting integrated uh, here and uh, kind of understood. Now they all have primary projection areas, but they all relay here for sensory integration. Um, this is the somatosensory area, the, the ventral posterior lateral and ventral posterior medial. Uh, this is the from the foot and uh, the uh, lower back uh, down to the hand. And then uh, obviously the, the face ends up being uh, the, the ventral posterior medial. And uh, sometimes these are called ventral basal. Uh, uh, Berge Terman used the term ventral basal nucleus uh, for, for his generator of mu. And the generator of mu is in the somatosensory cortex. Um, uh, going further forward, you end up having the motor strip, the premotor area that runs the motor strip, uh, the, the, the anterior cingulate, and the, the uh, frontal lobe and the rostral anterior cingulate. Um, uh, the, the little white dot here, uh, which doesn't look like it's got really something labeled, uh, ends up being deep brain structures, including the limbic structures and the temporal lobe. Uh, and uh, again, deep brain areas end up having connectivity to that. So the thalamus has connections pretty much everywhere. Uh, it has two primary kinds of projection. It has first order, uh, which are just the sensory relays, the sense of touch going to the somatosensory cortex, the sense of sight going to the visual cortex, the sound going to the auditory cortex, etc. Um, uh, the only sense that doesn't go through the thalamus is the sense of taste, uh, the, the uh, excuse me, the sense of smell, uh, which goes directly into the olfactory bulb, which is directly into the limbic system. It's routed over uh, to, the, to the area in the uh, mesial temporal lobe called the uncus. And the sense of taste, which goes through the thalamus, is also related to the same spot, which is why the sense of smell and the sense of taste end up being related. Uh, they end up having the same cortical representation location. 
So the, the thalamus is intimately involved. There's a nuclear body you don't see here. There's a reticular nucleus. A, a, a reticulum is a skin or, a, or an, an outer layer. And the reticular nucleus is absolutely essential for any alpha to occur at all. It provides acetylcholine, uh, which uh, um, it provides the rhythmicity to the thalamus. If it weren't for the reticular nucleus, you would have no alpha at all. And the reticular nucleus wraps around all of the thalamus, except for the very anterior tip of it, which gets its uh, acetylcholine from the other nuclear bodies. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the, if you start to get drowsy and suddenly your alpha quits, that's when the reticular nucleus has quit providing the acetylcholine. And you don't have a, a dominant rhythm anymore. Everything slows down out of the traditional alpha band into a slower rhythmicity. So uh, the thalamus is what's generating all the surface alpha. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neurosciences NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. And if you sign up now, you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th. It's going to be a blast. What a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen NG hyphen workshops. Now, some people uh, point to mu as being like alpha and uh, mu is alpha-like. It's a rhythm. It's slightly faster usually than the parietal alpha prominence by about a half a cycle to a cycle a second. And it's monomorphic. And uh, um, uh, monomorphic is a shape. It looks like a wicket fence. It's sometimes called the wicket rhythm. It's round on the top, pointed on the bottom, or, or upside down from that. You can reverse the polarity very easily. Uh, and uh, what we basically see here is uh, a rhythm that's going to have, uh, let's say this is a 10 hertz rhythm. It's, it's 10 hertz, but the pointy part of it, because it's not a sine wave, the Fourier will find you a harmonic. Uh, if this is 10, you'll see a 20. It's not because there's inherently a 20 hertz rhythm there. It's because the waveform is not sinusoidal, and the Fourier assumes everything's a sine wave. So when it decomposes this, it has trouble because this is not what it's not. It doesn't meet the assumptions of the Fourier. It's not a sine wave. If you've seen enough EEG, there's a lot of stuff that's not sinusoidal. Um, and the Fourier also assumes uh, you have a stable state uh, that you're not going from awake to drowsing to sleep. Uh, you've got a stable state that's being evaluated. EEG is full of state changes. People go from awake to drowsing spontaneously all the time. And it assumes no transients. If you've seen enough EEG, it's full of transients. It assumes that it started at the beginning of time and, and lasts forever. Well, what kind of an assumption is that? 
nobody starts at the beginning of time and goes on to forever. So uh, uh, it, the Fourier really uh, is violated by pretty much everything uh, that, that we that we see in EEG. So uh, the uh, let me project this so they're a little larger uh, images. So this is the 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 mu, and it's seen centrally. And when you look at it in a map with the eyes closed, you see C3, C4 is the mu, and alpha at the back of the head. Barry Sturman. Uh, when he came up with SMR as a as a feature, uh, when he went to the first AG meeting to present his data, Henri Gaston, uh, who is a French electroencephalographer, dismissed it as just being mute. So Barry really doesn't like the term mute, but he'll call it owl eyes if it's eyes open and monkey face if the eyes are closed. This is eyes closed. You can see C3, C4 dots there, and that, that's the, the mute with the uh, monkey face, which would be the jowls of, of, of the monkey. But uh, again, it's alpha at the back of this mu, so you can see four. Mu is related to alpha, but it's not, uh, it, it's not the same as the rest of the background alpha. Mu is there when the frontal lobes mirror neurons are disconnected. It's a rhythm like alpha happening at the back of the head when you close your eyes. Mu happens when you disconnect from the outside world in a meaningful way. You're not mimicking or mirroring the outside world, either with language or emotion. At that point, mu happens. It's present in 15% of the normal population, but it's present in 70% of the autism, 50% of the attentional and affective disorders. So, uh, and it's disproportionately present in athletes, uh, uh, elite athletes, not just, you know, I played high school basketball or something. I mean, we're talking about elite athletes. Uh, they, they've got a disproportionately large amount of mu. Um, they why, suggest, why is that, Jay? Well, they, they call it a positive dissociation. That term was actually, I think, coined by, by Santiago Brandt. Uh, and I think it's a very good description of it. Um, if you're going to get into your zone, uh, which is an internal state, you have to be able to turn off the outside world to get into your internal zone in some circumstances. Go to a track meet sometime. It's organized chaos. There's people over there throwing stuff, and there's people over here running, and there's people over here jumping. And you know, there, there's all this cacophony of noise, and the crowds in various locations are screaming and jumping and yelling. And, and here you are ready for your event, and you've got to get into your zone. Well, there's a lot of outside distractions. If you can't turn all that shit off, you're going to be in deep shit. So you, you really have to be able to, you know, center yourself. And the athletes themselves say, well, you know, to get in the zone, I have to kind of become more internal. I can't be distracted externally. Uh, and, you know, the, so it's a positive dissociation. It is a dissociation. You know, people with a lot of mu that are in the autism spectrum usually have a detachment. They're, 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 there's a dissociation uh, going on uh, in, in those. And again, 70% of the autism, 15% of the normals. So, you know, mu is a normal variant neurologically. Now, there's no tumor. There's no stroke. There's no AVM, arteriovenous malformation. Uh, you can't go in there and find something wrong at C3, C4 location. It's not 
an abnormality. It's a functional state or a dysfunctional state, depending upon if it's a positive dissociation or not. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's mu is mu. It, it's, it's a disconnect from the outside world. And again, it's not that common in normals. It's more common in clinical pathology and occasionally in a functional disconnect that may be useful like an athlete. So uh, it, it's still, it's in the alpha range and it's considered a normal generator of background rhythmicity. Again, mu isn't the same as background alpha, uh, but it, it's real common. Now, uh, uh, th this is uh, basically mu. You can see the phase reversal. Uh, this is a sequential or bipolar montage, FP1, F3, F3, C3, C3, P3, E3, O1. C3 is common to these two channels. And you can see the phase reversal is because it's in grid two of this channel and grid one of this channel. So it, it, uh, the phase reversal shows you the mu. Now, on the right side, C4 has got this kind of a fiddly little mu going on. And... At this point, you can see a bunch of little buttons being pushed. The tech who is running this identified the fact that there was a well-organized mu, what they thought might be mu, and they said, well, uh, how, do you, how do you prove it's mu? Well, it looks like mu. It's the right frequency. It's the right waveform. But the last thing to do to test that it's actually mu is to have them wiggle the fingers because this is the hand area on, on, the, on the homunculus. Uh, this is the area that regulates the hand. If you wiggle the fingers on the right hand, the mu will go away. So they started to have them wiggle the fingers. So that's, they're simply uh, uh, clicking here to indicate that the fingers are being wiggled. The mu goes away. On this side, the right side still has some mu because it's the, the right hand, the left brain, that was, was being requested. Now, it also goes away with intention to move. But if you tell somebody to intend, how do you know? you know? So I can intend to move my finger and quit intending. I didn't move a damn thing. And you can't tell if I'm intending or not because that's a covert state unless you're looking for it. So it, we tell them to wiggle their fingers rather than telling them to intend to wiggle their fingers. You know, it's a pretty direct statement as to what to do. So it's, it's easily judged. You can tell if they're wiggling them or not. And when you see the wiggles, you simply press the button. So a very good tech, again, sees the mu, tells the client to wiggle the fingers on the contralateral hand, the mu goes away, confirming that it was, in fact, mu. Um, I have heard people talk about autistics that the mu doesn't block with movement. I've yet to see that. Yeah, I'd like somebody that says they see that to actually demonstrate it sometime. Uh, it, uh, uh, movement blocks mu uh, really quite completely. And uh, those that say that they, they move and it, it didn't change, I, I would like to see those studies. Of all the EGs I've seen, and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, I have yet to see that. So uh, I would invite somebody who says they can you know, uh, uh, see uh, mu stick around in an autistic when they're wiggling their fingers, I'd love to see the demonstration. Anyway, um, uh, this is the, you see this montage, uh, the, this point in time, 
258. 58, 258, same exact time. This is the same chunk of data with a different montage. This is all referential. And again, left mu, right mu. And the left mu disappeared when the buttons were pushed. This is the same data with a different montage. And you can see the unilateral nature of the reaction. The right side stuck around, the left side disappeared. What's it look like? Well, this is eyes open mu, which gives you the owl eye pattern that Barry talks about. Uh, there's probably some central uh, alpha, but C3, C4 are the mu frequencies. Dominant here at 10.11, disappears at 11.12, but it's in the alpha band, C3, C4. This is, uh, 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 this is basically uh, the, the EEG. Uh, here you have open and close the right hand. And if you look carefully, uh, the right side still has a little faint bit of mu. The left side, the mu is gone. So the montage you display it in is important as well. Here's a linked ear montage. You can see the mu is kind of powder blue. It's not really distinct. Um, uh, this, uh, uh, excuse me, this, this is a Laplacian montage and you can see C3, C4 mu. This is linked ears. And, you know, if you say you can see the mu here, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of more difficult. Uh, this is a CZ montage. Now, CZ sits right between C3, C4. It's so close. Basically, it's got some of the same content that basically cancels the ability to see it. So the montage you're using when you're looking at the EG can make it more easily identifiable. Uh, the Laplacian montages are the easiest way to see it. Uh, linked ears is a little bit more difficult. And if you use a CZ reference, it's, it's a mistake if you're looking for mu. So uh, this, this is the CZ reference mu, C3, C4. You know, th th this, it's hard to spot them there. Um, this is... Fjorth or Laplacian montage, C3, C4. This is linked ears, C3, C4. I, again, the montage you're using ends up making a big difference as to whether you can see the mu, which is a form of background alpha. Again, it's its own name. It's got its own generator. Uh, it, it's a bit of a different feature. But when we're talking about mu, we've got to talk about it. As well. So, uh, uh, background resting state alpha basically, resting state alpha uh, is the default mode network sitting at rest, and you see alpha at PZ, T5, P6 or P7, P8, if you use modified nomenclature, same electrode, just different name, um, and also the anterior midline. So let's drop down through. This paper is not read that often because of all the math that starts it out. A lot of people are put off by the intense math. These are four microstates. These are held for about 80, 84 milliseconds plus minus a few, and uh, 
uh, this one is the, the posterior cingulate off to one side, posterior cingulate off to the other side. Again, bidirectional pathways. This is posterior cingulate to the anterior cingulate and unidirectional only going forward. And it's the posterior cingulate all by itself. So these patterns are classic uh, uh, microstate uh, patterns of the default mode network. These four pieces are separate pieces of that network. And they only last for, again, 80 something milliseconds. The, the fMRI uh, ends up identifying. Now, th this is the source analysis for this pattern. And you can see posterior cingulate and the left side, posterior cingulate and the right side, posterior to anterior, and then posterior cingulate all by itself. What happens is these four microstates are blended in the fMRI image because it takes 10, 20 seconds to get this image. And if it's 10 seconds, you, you've got basically 100 microstate shifts going on. So these are briefly held and they're dynamic. The posterior singlets, they're all four times. The others are only they're one out of four. So you get a big flare at PZ, small dots at the other three sites. And again, these are bi-directional. This is unidirectional, only going to the front. Uh, this is the resting state network that makes your resting state alpha. Uh, if something that you see or hear is salient, the anterior cingulate, which is a piece of the salience network, will send a message back to the posterior cingulate, which turns off the default mode and turns on the executive network. If you're at rest and something is salient to you, your executive network has to be turned on to figure out what is it and where is it. So once it figures that out, you could go back to the resting state, but you might have to do something. So you're looking at something and um, you, you're, you, you catch something and you think, oh, it's a snake because it's a wiggly thing laying on the ground. And so it's salient and your executive network turns on and says, what is that? Where is it? Oh, it's a rope laying on the ground. Well, I could go back to my default mode. Or if it's an executive network and it identifies it as a snake, then you've got fights and flight you can deal with. So the, these, the triple network, those three networks basically flip-flop together all the time. Uh, if it's something that's truly salient, you'll be engaged. If it's not, you can go back to the resting state. And again, this is the resting state or default mode network. And it's not at rest. It's active. The brain doesn't go to rest. It's still twiddling its thumbs, resting but ready. And... The resting but ready state isn't asleep. It's not drowsy. It's just, it's resting but ready to go. Thank you for ending part one, Jay. The NeuroNoodle podcast is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. A special thanks to our gold and silver supporters. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. 
And if you sign up now, you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th. It's going to be a blast. What a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. MindMedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit MindMedia.com now.